Welcome to the Growth Hacking Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ivan Palomino. This podcast is about thought-provoking ideas to scale up and growth hack performing and human-centric work cultures. My guests are experts on mindsets, skills, and science behind work cultures. I hope you enjoy this episode. I still remember that the typical strategy discussion in big corporation goes around current trends many of which are already being de developed in tech startups. And sometimes it leads the efforts to towards catching up rather than disrupting in an organization. Uh, the question is, wouldn't it be great to imagine possibilities that don't yet exist and to work on that? My guest today is one of the superminds talking about these possibilities, these futures that will impact our, our world. My guest today is Bob Johansson, He is the author or co-author of 13 books. Many of them explore the future of leadership. His latest book, Office Shop, Creating Better Futures for Working and Living, is about the future trends and actions to get ready to the next generation workplace. He has been research director, then president, and now he is the distinguished fellow of the IFTF, the Institute for the Future which is one of the world's leading future organizations and for over 50 years, businesses, governments and social impact organizations have depended upon the IFTF global forecast, custom research, foresight, education and training to navigate complex change and develop world-ready strategies. Bob, I'm super happy and excited to have you today. Now, the reason is because I heard about you approximately six, seven years ago, which was the time where my life in corporate was fading down and the increase of curiosity uh, for other things was growing. And I heard about some of your books, especially the ones in le about leadership. Um, Bob, thank you very much for spending, um, spending time with me. So approximately 40 to 50 years working on talking about the future of work, society, and impact. Is that right? That's right. That's right. I um, became interested in the future when I was a graduate student and was a um, research assistant on a conference on religion and the future. Um, so I've had an interest in uh, spirituality and meaning and purpose um, for a long time, although I'm I'm not an advocate of any brand of religion. I'm really interested in just what motivates us, you know, what what gives us hope. Uh, but I've also grown up in Silicon Valley. So um, I'm usually the resident humanist or social scientist on a tech project. So I'm usually working with engineers or or scientists. I love what when you mentioned about the brand of religion. So this is quite good. And Silicon Valley has like this history of people trying to discover new new options, not only technology, but it's also about kind of the hippie movement also is somehow was a little bit grew growing in that uh, in that area. And it was, it was about the research of possibilities, options, meaning, purpose, right? It, definitely right. Uh, so the way I think about Silicon Valley, and and again, I was there before it was called that. So I saw the early days of it and have participated in it. Um, 
as as it's grown over the last uh, you know really five decades. Um, and what um, the way I think about Silicon Valley is it's this this mix, this very intense mix of people who want to make the world a better place. You know, true visionaries. Um, some of them a little crazy, <laughs> but people want to make the world a better place. And then other people who are just extremely greedy. Um, and it sounds like I'm being negative there, but I'm really not. If we didn't have so many greedy people in Silicon Valley, the Valley wouldn't be the same. That it's it's that energy between often uh, very stretch or even unrealistic financial goals uh, and people who want to make the world a better place. And these communities of people, they don't particularly like each other, but they know they need each other. And and here's the big thing. There's a culture in Silicon Valley, a culture of being willing to give away ideas in the faith that you'll get back even more in return. And that happens in the change the world people. It happens in the, in the greedy people, the venture people. Um, so there's that amazing exchange. And it's, it's very different from the East Coast in the U.S. where I've all, I also was an affiliate at MIT for 10 years and went back and forth between Silicon Valley and Route 128, Boston, Cambridge. Very different there. Uh, there isn't the same give to get feeling that you get in Silicon Valley. But to me, that's part of the energy. It's also it's also true that Silicon Valley is very international. It's not an American phenomenon. It's a global phenomenon. You know, where our office is in downtown Palo Alto, you can't walk for a block without hearing a non-English language. <laughs> Listen, that topic, uh, and I'm, I'm sorry for diverting the, the original topic, but I, it interests me so much because the fact is that in that generation with the foundation of spirituality purpose, the ones who were open to experimentation and trying to change the world, these, these are the same people who became like CEOs uh, and some of them with good causes, wanting to have good impact and some of them they forgot the person they were back then or the wishes, mm -hmm. the intentions that they had back in the times. How do you feel about that? <laughs> well, it's definitely a mix. You know, you have this intense energy uh, and it can play out in very different ways. Um, so I'm not a military guy by background, but I just happened to be at the graduate school for the U.S. Army where they teach the new generals. I just happened to be there the week before 9-11 and the awful events of that attack on, on New York City. And I was there with a group of Deloitte senior partners and some CEOs. And I was introduced to this concept of the VUCA world, you know, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And I got really intrigued by what would it take to lead in that kind of world where there is intense evil um, as well as intense hope, intense positive energy um, and often you don't know which is which. I mean, there's there's a, a particularly in the world of deep fakes now, uh, you often don't know which is which. So there's a, a need to engage with that VUCA world. And, you know, I've um, I've now 
been asked to teach there. And I, I teach the new generals uh, on their first week in Washington and they read my books and um, we talk about leadership. We talk about strategy. And part of what I teach now is a kind of flip on the VUCA world that if you think future back, and I like to go at least 10 years ahead, if you think future back, volatility will yield will yield to vision. So vision will get disproportionately rewarded in the next decade. Uncertainty will yield to understanding. So this is this is a time to be listening to each other, not shouting at each other. And I'm I'm very concerned about the polarities of the present, uh, the kind of high certainty that so many people seem to have, even though there is very little to be certain about. And then complexity will yield to clarity. And clarity is the big one. We want to be very clear where we're going in the VUCA world, but very flexible, very flexible how you get there. And finally, ambiguity will yield to agility that we all have to be essentially corporate athletes. We have to be physically, mentally, and even spiritually grounded. No, not, not necessarily religiously, but at least grounded in our sense of purpose, in our sense of meaning. So I think that's the way to lead in a VUCA world is you need to be intent you need to be grounded um in in a in a world that's increasingly it's hard to it's hard to figure out the you know the good folks from the bad folks and and in fact it's often a mix of people who are both <laughs> i love that and, and and i wanted to say it before you in fact i was thinking <laughs> about it it's not like the, there is a good guy or a bad guy we have both inside of us and we just yeah. have to make choices and design exactly. our future ourselves so that we make the choices that are go well with who we are. I love that. Yeah. Uh, Bob, I, I want to go back to the to this concept of imagining the future of the workplace, or let's call it the next generation workplace. And one of the main challenges that was discovered, in fact, I don't know why it was discovered just during COVID, is that the level of motivation of employees is super low like but it, it was like that before it's just that we weren't we weren't looking organizations weren't looking at that and suddenly we are start talking about mental health and suddenly we are start, start talking about presenteeism and people don't have the motivation and now they express it it's almost like i have the right because now i have been thinking about the meaning of my life so i have to the right to voice it voice it out in the Maybe prior to COVID, it was a little bit more difficult to talk about it. Um, how will organization should in the future keep their employees motivated? Well, the beginning is to um, help people identify their sense of purpose. You know, why are they doing this? And then help them engage in an environment that helps them build on that. And, you know, the research that was done during COVID by the Blue Zones Project, I found fascinating. They found that people with a sense of purpose, an individual sense of purpose, were happier, they're healthier, and they live up to seven years longer. Uh, mm. People with a sense of purpose who work for purpose-driven organizations are happier, they're healthier, and they live up to 14 years longer. And the organizations tend to do better uh, in terms of their performance. So there's a strong logic for building up a sense of purpose. Um, on the other hand, there can be too much purpose if it becomes 
not just clear, but absolute, uh, then that leads to the kind of polarities we're often seeing in politics and religions and in individual lifetimes. So I think the beginning of keeping people engaged in work is to help them um, find their purpose and help them uh, link their purpose to the organization's purpose. Hmm. So what you're saying, uh, and let me see if I, I understood correctly, is that corporations should invest on building self-awareness on their employees sure. and building this identification because we usually don't have the time. We, we live in front of sure. work, then Netflix, then family, the <laughs> sweet pleasures of life, and we don't have the time to go and sit already have a moment of mindfulness or have a moment of reflection on ourselves, but maybe corporations should invest on creating this environment and these methods to, to find, so that employees can find out their uh, purpose. Is that what you certainly. mean? Yeah, certainly. And and I think it is beginning to happen. You know, It's amazing to me, you know, even in an engineering driven world like Silicon Valley, mindfulness training is very common now among Silicon Valley companies and the opportunity is there. The question is just how do you how do you go about doing it in in constructive ways? So you don't want to overdo it. You don't want to force it. On the other hand, you do want to allow for that. And part of that, I think that there is a kind of silver lining to the awful COVID experiences, um, you know, one of the big lessons and one of the big surprises from COVID was that office workers um, with virtually no present preparation, office workers were able to be very productive with no offices, <laughs> you know, so that was really quite surprising. So, the question is now, how do we go forth? And, you know, the new book, Office Shock, is all about that kind of disruptive change in how, where, when, and even why, even why we work. And that disruptive change has created a new opportunity. And flexibility is one of the key elements within this, you know, flexibility in how we work, flexibility in where we work, flexibility in when we work. And now we're at this interesting point where a number of CEOs have kind of had it with discussions about hybrid work and kind of had it with the, when do we go back to the office thing? And they're just saying, I'm sick of talking about this, just get back to the office. And the general finding from that is that mandates to return to the office don't work. Mm -hmm. Um, you get some people to come back, but they're not the best people. So you lose you lose your talent if you mandate it. On the other hand, there are really good reasons why to get together. Um, in-person meetings or in-person offices are better for orientation, for trust building, for renewal, for early stage creativity, for culture building. But in fact, most of our physical office buildings are not designed very well for that at all. <laughs> so if you force people back, it really doesn't work and you lose the best people. But if you create a magnet, a magnet in the office, that will draw people back. And the magnet has a lot to do with what's the sense of meaning? What's the sense of community? What's the sense of purpose? that a particular organization allows. And you know, most organizations have 
that potential for purpose. They just haven't fully developed it. You made me think about Elon Musk asking the, the people uh, in Twitter <laughs> to come back to the office. He has become one of the most hated pe uh, person in, in Europe, <laughs> especially. <clears throat> Sorry for that. Um, you made me think also about the 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 famous experiment that the British has been have been doing for more than one year and a half to work less hours. And it's, it seems to me that the data is there to show that working less hours doesn't make that doesn't didn't have a, an impact on the productivity of uh, of the team. Um, which is quite good, and and at the end is it does it's not about having one direction or the other. The employees wants to want to have the choice. Like for good reasons, I would go, as you said, if there is a, something where I I'm going to feel belonging is something to, that we are going to build something together. Yes, I will go to the office, but otherwise, when I need peace, concentration, I wouldn't have it in the office. Everybody's talking, uh, and yeah. So people wants to have the choice. It's not about one direction or the other. And I don't think anymore it's up to the CEO to say everybody out or everybody in into the office. <laughs> I think it is it should be a balance where there is choices, there is good reasons to yeah. go. Well, that's a really good point, Yvonne, uh, about it's not an either or choice. It's a spectrum of choices. And in the book, we introduce seven spectrums of choice, beginning with purpose. And it's a spectrum from, in the case of purpose, from individual purpose to organizational or collective purpose. But I think that's the way to think about these challenges of office shock is what are the spectrums of choice? Hmm. You, you talk in your in your book about the office verse. Hmm. <laughs> and, and I wanted to dig in, in, in particular to this area that is super difficult challenging for organizations to solve the problem of feeling belonging, especially when you right. are onboarding young people, like I'm out of university, I don't know anything. I I now know that back in my university, uh, fi after finishing university, I didn't know how to do anything. But back then I was thinking that I knew everything. Anyways, the onboarding is something that is quite uh, quite essential to uh, yes. for young people. So how do we make in this office verse, the, this feeling of, of, of being part of something that is common with a common purpose. And when I feel like I, I yeah. can connect with you and know, understand you a, a little bit in the personal level to sort sure. of say, Bob is my tribe. How can I do that? Sure. So we're when we look future back at how, where, when, and why we work, when we look future back, we see the office as the building the physical place. We use the term officing for the ways we work, not just the place we work, but the ways we work. And the office verse is that amazing kind of emerging archipelago of possibility that includes office buildings. It includes virtual work, and it includes this kind of wild mix that's now becoming possible with virtual reality, with augmented reality, with virtual work, with the, the so-called metaverse. We we chose not to use that term metaverse because it was just getting so overhyped in Silicon yeah. Valley um, that 
but we coined a different word, the office verse, to stretch people's thinking. So each of us needs to think organizationally and even individually. Each of us needs to think, how do we want to create a place to work that matches our purpose? So, you know, I'm a public speaker and I write books. I was on the road all the time before. So what I've done is create a new kind of office verse. And, you know, this is the metaphor I use. So I don't use digital backgrounds because I want to invite people into my study and give them access to me that's beyond what they'd have if I was on stage. So I've got VR glasses up on the wall and I kind of invite people into that whenever they want to go. But candidly, not many takers yet. Um, I've got a movable camera that's coming that's going to allow me to stand up and down. I've got acoustic conditioning all around me. I've got special lighting. I've got special microphones. I'm, I'm looking for ways to be better, to be better than if I was on stage. So I've got young colleagues now who are different from me in an interesting way who want to travel. And I prefer not to travel very much. So I haven't stopped traveling, but I don't travel nearly as much. But I have a young colleague in the room while I'm virtual and they know my content and they can facilitate the interaction. And then we create a generative AI chatbot based on my books, based on the conversation that allow them access to me when I'm not there. Um, so my goal in doing this is to be better than if I was on stage. It isn't to simulate. Um, and I, I think each of us needs to do that kind of analysis and say, well, in the office first, given your purpose, given your skills, given your goals, how do you want to create a medium um, that can still include in person, but all of us as leaders have to be really good at choosing which medium is good for what, with whom, at what time, and that's the kind of challenge, but it's a great opportunity. The The tools for this are getting so dramatically better. I'm I'm using a, um, a high-def camera that Logitech designed now that's actually better than the MacBook Pro camera that's built into the computer I'm using, even though it's a relatively new computer. And, and, and it was cheap. It was a couple hundred bucks, something like that. So we're we're able to do things, I think, in, in the office verse that we could have only dreamed of even 10 years ago. Hmm. So my take on what you said is that one, Bob, even if you are a Silicon Valley boy, uh, you are, it's not about the use of technology just for the novelty. It's about the purpose on how to multiply your powers. Your That's right. Yeah, when, good way to say it. Exactly. It, it is technology with purpose. And, and that's something yes. that I'm, I'm, I wish a lot of companies knew how to pick up technology in a better way, that they don't get into the sexy stuff, but they do it in order to make the work of employees, their people, better, easier, enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Right. Right? Yeah, I love exactly. That. Yeah. Exactly. And and I think that's the real that that's the real hopeful aspect of the COVID shutdown is it it caused us to surface our assumptions and reimagine what's possible. Exact, exact. Um, so if we are talking about a new world where people can work anywhere, 
um, they have technology in order to uh, to to make their the job enjoyable. How do we start in the, in this future, this five to ten years uh, horizon? How do we start assessing employee performance? The the, the 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 thing is that today we have been judging per performance of people mainly by the number of hours spent sitting in front of a computer and mainly in the, in the office. So this, um, this dimension is disaggregating. Uh, we have been judging uh, people based on one single number, even if that person was not really contributing or had a, any decision-making in a specific project. Uh, so how can we reinvent or reimagine uh, how we assess employees' performance in the next five to 10 years, Bob? You know, I think that's relatively easy. I mean, if you look at what happened during COVID, companies did pretty well at measuring productivity without having people in offices at all. It forced them to look at different measures of productivity. Um, so I think what's going to happen is we're going to reimagine how we measure performance. Um, and, and sometimes that will include in person. Sometimes it'll be virtual. Sometimes it'll be mobile. Uh, there's, I, I just think that variable of the kind of old fashioned way of thinking of, well, if somebody's at their desk, that means they're, per, they're high performing. That's kind of at least being questioned if not being blown out of the water <laughs> uh, in some organizations. Now, there still are some old-fashioned managers and some old-fashioned CEOs that think that is valid. Um, and don't forget, I'm not writing off in-person. I think there's real value to in-person meetings, as I mentioned, orientation, trust building, renewal, early stage creativity, culture building. But if you're going to do that, really do it really do it. Uh, these old-fashioned boxy offices, those aren't very good for any of those things. So if you're going to call people back to the office or draw people back to the office, at least design the office so it's good for the things that in-person meetings are better for. <laughs> By the way, Bob, you made me think about, I don't know if it was a book or an article in a magazine, that there is even studies about how the office should be designed because there is a certain distance between people that makes that you really interact instead of interrupting other people. There, there has been a, an analysis of how far away we should be sitting one from the other. Uh, and in fact, this analysis also goes against these cubicles that uh, were have been quite famous until, until now. Uh, the, so th there is a, a little bit more of research and data to to really change how the office should be designed around the human with purpose. Like if yeah. it is a place to discuss brainstorm versus it, it is a place in order to be to spend more time in my analytical Excel files that I, that I need to look at. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. So this issue of 
how far apart people should be working, what should the space be designed like, um, that should be a question ask. And there's lots of good designers out there, good architects. My co-author, Joseph Press, is a, a guy with a PhD in workplace architecture from MIT, um, who's kind of grown up in now not only workplace architecture, but digital architecture uh, and digital transformation. That's really what you need is expertise in imagining what these work environments are going to be like. And the reason I did this book with others was Joseph provided that workplace architecture perspective. Christine Bullen is an information systems professor also out of uh, MIT, and and she's more thinking about the digital worlds. I'm a humble social scientist, so you know I'm just studying the human side of this and trying to figure out how to link that, because mostly I'm working with top leaders now, you know, CEOs and C-suite and generals, and I'm trying to figure out, well, what's the, what's the way to pull all those things together? And it always begins with purpose. <laughs> Bob, you might be a humble uh, social scientist, but what you say uh, is pure wisdom and has impact in the world. Don't forget that. Thank you. <laughs> Now, getting back to another concept that you were mentioning in your uh, uh, in your book, Office Shock, it was the you were sharing kind of your views on human documentation and kind of the the rapid accessibility of artificial intelligence support this this vision. So, artificial intelligence can help us get rid kind of the of the boring thing and can help us support us even in the and maybe replace why not uh these endless boring training sessions uh and develop a new form of learning right that where we don't have to that where we can ask because what we really want and, and i still think about my days back in corporate uh is an answer to in the moment. So I don't know how to do this. I want to find out an answer. And maybe artificial intelligence is the way to, to, to do it. Instead of spending waiting for the next training in six months or <clears throat> going into a YouTube video of one hour and a half to find out the single answer that I was looking for. So according to you, how is, is it going to be the new forms of learning in the five to 10 years? Are we going to get mm. rid finally of, of these boring sessions of in-person or <laughs> online trainings? I hope so. Um, we talk about the spectrum of augmentation and these seven spectrums are in order. Uh, the augmentation spectrum is number five. So what we say is you don't start there. You start with purpose, outcomes, climate, and with whom do you want to work, the belonging spectrum, we call it. But then you get to this spectrum of augmentation. And the way you should think about that is you think future back, we're all going to be augmented in some way. So if you're a leader, or even if you're a high-performing um, knowledge worker of any kind, um, we're all going to be augmented. In a real sense, we're all going to be cyborgs. So the real question isn't, will we be cyborgs? The question will be, how will we be cyborgs? You know, how do we want to be augmented? So the spectrum for augmentation is from human alone to technology alone. So technology alone is the automation. And that's the term artificial intelligence, which is the worst term to describe an emerging technology I've ever studied. It just got started 
and a really bad story, the story of computers replacing people. Now, there'll be some of that. And it's an important issue to be thinking about, issues like sentience and purpose as applied to machines. I think that's an important area of study. But in the short run, the issue for leaders is how do we want to be augmented? And it's basically a question of what can humans do best and what do we want to keep for ourselves? And then how, what can computers do best? And then the most important question is how, how do we want to be augmented? It's not a question of if we want to be augmented. And that's obvious if you think future back. If you don't want to be augmented, that's fine, but you're out of the game. You're out of the game. If you think 10 years ahead in high-performing organizations, we're all going to be augmented. The only question is how? So I'm a writer. I write books. The part of augmented intelligence that I'm interested in is first drafts. I, I love writing books. I love titling. I love outlining. I love editing. I love talking about them. I hate the first draft. Things like ChatGPT are really good at doing mm -hmm. first drafts. They're not very good, but they really helped me get started. So we used GPT to write the spectrum or write the chapter about augmentation. And then we did a chatbot. I think we were the first book to have its own chatbot. We did a chatbot a month after our book came out. And now I'm creating chatbots for pretty much all my talks. So I'm not only speaking, I'm recording and creating um, an augmented intelligence for myself and that's what we all need to do is ask ourselves, given our purpose, given our role, given our job, how do we want to be augmented? It's not if, it's how. <laughs> um, so when you're talking about the how, <clears throat> it means also the degree. So am it I does. going to, to let go part of something that I enjoy doing or, or not? That's that's that could be a good question, and that relates a little bit about <clears throat> the new generation of people who are joining the workforce. So, and I and I'm thinking yeah. <clears throat> when preparing this discussion, I, I was thinking about my daughter. So, in ten years' time, she's going to be working. Let's hope. Mm -hmm. I don't want to pay for her in ten years' time. Um, <laughs> and my question is. <clears throat> The diversity of skills, um, the way we learn things, is she better off dumping any ideas of Ivy League universities and focusing on learning whatever she wants, a li little pieces from here and there online or in person? Uh, and isn't it going to provide organizations, people with a full range of meta skills that they are looking for instead of just having a well-prepared, I don't know, poly, I was telling you about Polytechnical School before, just having somebody with a broad range of interest and skills that they have already practiced, in fact. So it's a, it's a big question. And the next decade is going to be a kind of decade of truth for academic or edu educational institutions, as well as for learners, there's certain things that are unsustainable. Like in the US, the cost of a college education is unsustainable mm -hmm. and the student loan debt is unsustainable. So you've got these basics. Uh, 
Then you've got the medium of learning. And I believe what you see in video gaming today, the potential of video gaming for creating user interfaces that are at least 10 times better than what we're seeing in businesses have, have the potential for learning. And I think what we think of as, as video gaming today, 10 years from now, is going to be the most powerful learning medium in history. And the kids are growing up with that. So they're going to have a competitive advantage over, over us. So that's the really good news. Um, the challenge for educational institution is <clears throat> they're going to have to show the value. And I'm still a believer. I still like academic education. Uh, you know, I have a PhD myself. I have a master of divinity degree. I have an undergraduate degree. I see the value and I hope that it continues that value. On the other hand, um, many students are going to say, is it worth it? Hmm. Um, and given how expensive many colleges and universities are, for a lot of people, I think the answer is going to be no. Um, the medium through uh, platforms like Coursera or Khan Academy, um, it's it's getting a lot better, but it still requires then the personal discipline to do it. Um, and that just won't be an option for many young people. They just won't be able to do that. So it's going to be a real challenge. And in this uh, this next decade, we did a custom forecast for Southern New Hampshire University. Um, and, you know, they were a traditional liberal arts college about to go out of business that completely reimagined themselves as an affordable degree program in an increasingly online world. And now they're thriving. They're one of the largest online platforms in the world, SNHU. Um, and for organizations that are involved in learning, they're gonna have to go through that kind of soul searching and reimagine themselves. And um, I think what's clear is the elite universities will be fine. The really bad universities that are only marginal and too expensive, they're gonna go out of business over the next decade. And the middle of the road colleges and universities are are just going to face a a decade of truth, and they're e they're either going to change or they're not going to be here. So it's a very tricky period. But I'm really hopeful about these young people, and including your daughter, um, if they grow up with a sense of hope. Um, and we we define, and this is talked about in the book. Um, we call the digital natives 27 or less in 2023 and we refer to the xr natives the cross reality natives as 17 or less in 2023 um so these young people are going to have a great competitive advantage if they grow up with gaming if they grow up with digital media and there are issues about many of today's video games are too violent too sexual uh yes so they need guidance about how to do that um but they're going to have skills we don't have as digital immigrants. And if they have hope, I'm really optimistic about this generation of people. Um, but I do think it's going to be a dramatic challenge for educational institutions over this next decade. I am <clears throat> sorry. I'm more hopeful about the generation that is coming than hopeful about the organizations that are going to be adapting themselves to attract them. Because I see already certain hints of 
I want to be an entrepreneur in my daughter because, and if she doesn't get, she doesn't fit in, she will leave. So there is going to be a huge challenge for organizations to model themselves, to give the flexibility that the younger generation needs. Yes. So I, I, I really want to thank you for the time that we have spent together because it is in a short period of time, there is a lot of essence Okay, so some of the efforts, we took it a little bit from the office shock, which is good and highly recommended for everybody. Office shock, creating better futures for working and living. Um, I love the, the, the purpose of the, uh, of the IFTF. I think that the, it is shaping a little bit a more human uh, society, community is putting the human first. It talks for me, it's like they you talk when they talk about technology, it's about enhancing or uh, as you say, creating these superpowers for for the humans instead of talking just about technology for the sake of it. Uh, Bob, how can we reach you out if somebody has questions or wants wants to benefit from your wisdom? How can people reach you out? So the Institute for the Future is the best place. You'll put a link into the website. Um, and I do everything through the Institute and, uh, there's also an officeshock.org website, a subset as to the, to the Institute's website, but that's the best way to reach me. That is great. Bob, thank you very much for your time. Uh, you're welcome. Enjoyed spending time with you. Have an excellent uh, day. Thanks for what you're doing.